Welcome everyone to our Bearing Point talk about sustainability reporting. Also welcome to everyone joining us on the live stream. It is a pleasure to welcome our two guest speakers today. We have Michel Fong from Swiss Re and Nico Frey from Radicant, and they will be representing two perspectives on sustainability reporting. One is the corporate perspective represented by Michel, who is now very busy implementing sustainability regulations on sustainability reporting. And Nico is representing the investor perspective using the content of sustainability reports to make investment decisions. So I myself, I'm Beatrice Fessler. I'm part of the sustainable finance practice of Bearing Point Switzerland, and I'm happy to be your moderator today. Let me briefly introduce our guest speakers. So Michel Fong, he's uh, from Swiss Re. He's the um, head of risk management of Group Finance Treasury IT. And in his capacity, he oversees the global sustainability reporting program and is in charge of ensuring that the technical solutions to implement sustainability reporting are in place. Uh, to make the introductions more personal, I've asked our guest speakers to share with us how they make a small contribution to sustainability through their lifestyle choices. So I would ask Michel to share. Thank you very much and thank you for having me here. Well, sustainability is something which in our family is discussed quite frequently. I have a teenage daughter and for her, the climate change is something that's on her mind that they discuss in school. So we're trying to make conscious decisions at home. We obviously recycle, we try to source produce locally and reduce food waste wherever possible. Okay, thank you so much. Then we have Nico Frey from Radicant. Radicant is a digital neobank focused on investing in line with the sustainable development goals. And at Radicant, Nico is the head of sustainable development goal methodology. He's going to explain us later what that exactly means. <laughs> Basically, what Redicant does is they help clients make investment decisions in companies that make a contribution to the sustainable development goals. And previously, Nico was a sustainable investing analyst at Bank J. Safra Saracen and held other sustainability-related positions in various sectors and companies. So now I would also like to ask you, what is your contribution to sustainability in your lifestyle choices? I think the usual, to, to make it very short. So from trying to eat more vegan and more vegetarian and so forth. But what I always argue and what basically my job, I always try to figure out where I have the biggest impact. And one of my biggest impacts is my career. So I spend my career in sustainability and trying to push that. And I think that's the, the biggest leverage I have. It's not meant that lifestyle choices don't matter, but they're for me kind of more a hygiene factor, which need to be aligned 80, 90%. But I think the big difference I try to make through my career. Mm -hmm. Okay. Great, thank you so much. So just a brief introduction about the topic and why this is relevant and especially relevant now. So in order to work towards a more sustainable development, we need joint action and coordinated effort by various players. So on the one hand side, we have 
the corporates that can make a contribution by making their business practices more sustainable and developing products and services that help achieve the sustainable development goals. We have the investors that channel capital flows towards sustainable companies. We have all of us, the consumers, who can make a contribution with more sustainable lifestyle choices. And we have the regulators that set the right incentives and frameworks in order to make the transition happen. Now, sustainability reporting has a key role in making ESG performance transparent of companies and therefore lays the foundation for all of us to take informed decisions, be it an investment decision, be it a consumption or purchasing decision and so on. So that's why I'm very pleased to kick off our talk about the recent trends, best practices in sustainability reporting. And my first question will be addressed to you, Michelle. What have been recent regulatory developments in the area of sustainability reporting? I think here it's very interesting because obviously reporting on sustainability related topics has been something that has been around for many years. So companies were, were able to report on their ambitions with regards to their carbon footprint or their diversity factors. In the past, this was very strongly voluntarily driven. And because it was voluntarily driven, companies were able to choose what kind of metrics they want to expose and in which format they want to do. It was actually an opportunity for them to diversify themselves and position themselves above peers, respectively make themselves interesting for other investors or even employees. Now, with the drive to a more regulated setup, this has changed. And it has changed in, in two dimensions. The first one is the vast diversity. We've over the last, I think, 20 years seen that on a yearly basis, around 40 new regulations have been added globally, which basically means that depending on your global footprint and the company's business model, you are now underlying several regulations that you need to adhere to. If you're looking at the regulatory report, you're not looking at volunteer disclosing information, but it's a mandatory disclosure. You don't differentiate yourself with, uh, with regulatory disclosures. You just need to be compliant, which means you need to be able to provide the data in the same form as all your peers and competitors do so. What you also need to do is you need to adhere to a much stricter rule on how you capture the data because it needs to be audit proof and it needs to be in line with the expectations of your regulator. That significantly drives costs in the organization, but also with, with regards to relationships that you might have with your clients where you need to source additional data from. So I think in short, we can summarize, it's become much more a you have to do it rather than we want to do it. Okay, thank you so much. Um, now, Nico, how have investor expectations towards sustainability reports of companies developed over time? I think it's also a very interesting topic. And I think at first we need to separate a little bit what we mean as sustainability uh, disclosures and, and different approaches. There is one very strong one, which is mainly called ESG, which is all about sustainability risks. So the investor itself tried to, to manage the sustainability risk within their portfolio as, as ideally uh, as possible and hence kind of have a better investment in their terms of the financial bottom line. And the other focus, which obviously are related, and we're 
currently moving also from a regulatory perspective more in this part, but it's still in the early years, uh, is about the impact the company has. So more about what does a company has an impact on nature and society. These are interconnected, but are not necessarily the same in, in many levels. So I think what investors, the broad market is, is asking for is standardization. They want to compare companies. And uh, taking Misha's word before, if you have a lot of companies which basically can report whatever they want, in the way whatever they want, and tell a nice story, it's quite cumbersome for, for an investor to literally dig deep and go in. This, on the one hand, is, is a disadvantage for the investors. On the other hand, you could also argue, no, 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 the good investors and the ones with the expertise and, and the, the, the peoples, they are good in doing that, and the, the broad market can't do it because it's cumbersome. Hence, you have uh, certain investors which can do a better job. Now, with all this data getting more standardized, the broader market is capable of doing it, or at least to a certain level, right? And, but what we see now is this shift from, from ESG, from risk, sustainability risk, to more impact, and with that also different uh, asks to companies. I think what many our investors are also asking is having an integrated approach. It's not just kind of there is sustainability and there is your business, right? You want to have the whole thing together and understand where exactly it matches. And I think we will see much more uh, a development in, in this sense that it's not so much separated anymore, but it goes more hand in hand. And then you also need to talk more about the business case and not so much about operational numbers and operational risks, but literally about what is your company delivering and where does it add value, not just to your client, but to society and nature. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Michel, you mentioned before that all these regulatory developments drive up costs and have a lot of requirements on data. Now, Nico has also shared some of the investor expectations, you know, demanding more standardization. What does all of this mean for Swissry? I think for us, it means we need to be very clear in understanding what the demands are. And I think the demands from the regulator or from the investors, they don't differ that, that significantly. The regulator wants standardization in order to make sure that they can drive transparency, avoid greenwashing potentially, while an investor wants to make qualified decisions in where they want to actually allocate their capital. Both parties, they need the same data, maybe in slightly different formats. And if I now look at the regulatory aspect, here we need to be very clear. We just need to be compliant. I've mentioned it before. And this means we need to understand what kind of data is required, what kind of data do our competitors expose, that we have the same format to, to actually put it out. Here, typically, you get very strict standards on what is expected. On a regulatory manner, typically data is very aggregated because you want to have key KPIs. On an investor-specific perspective, you want to have data ideally as granular as possible that you can drill into the individual business cases. Now, this is data that, uh, that typically is not available, but with certain indices or rating agencies that use a, a standardized approach, it still allows investors to, to gain some, some uh, insight. For a company perspective, this means we need to be very clear on how we 
procure this data within the company itself, how we make it available, and how we make sure that we expose the data in the same level and granularity to all the various interested parties. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I've heard you say that there is some differences and some similarities in what investors and regulators demand from companies. Now, Nico, would you agree to those uh, similarities and differences or would you have anything to add? Where are investor expectations aligned to regulator expectations and where do they differ? Well, 100%. I think, again, it's Again, talking about the broad financial markets, it's about standardization. You want to compare the companies you made, want to have as much data as possible and high quality data. And I think that, that goes financial markets and regulators there go hand in hand. On the other hand, I think often where, where it might differ a little bit, and this obviously also depends on the financial player, is regulatory frameworks and regulations and we see it now specifically for example on the EU taxonomy which could probably fill a full day of, of workshops but they're very technical very detail oriented and with that uh, not flexible at all and the world is changing and it's changing rather fast and if you're interested for example in only the impact these data might be outdated might be uh, not flexible enough and the companies themselves might not make a good USB they can't sell themselves. So it's always a, a, a balance. On the one hand, you want standardized data, you want a comparable, you want high quality, which is in line with what regulators are trying to do. On the other hand, you still want as an investor be better than others investors, which means you need to go in where others can't which where it is complicated, where, where you can actually make a difference, because if everyone has the same perfect data and everything is reported and everything is clear, it's the same on business case, right? If you do a proper financial ana analysis, you have lots of different standards and it's quite standardized data, but I mean, you have in the market, 50% of the analysts tell you sell and the other 50% tell you buy. It's a little bit the same with sustainability data. And I think one thing which is very important to acknowledge what we have at the moment is a shift from, let's call it sustainability 1.0 to sustainability 2.0. 1.0 or maybe 0.1 back. Because what we have at the moment is still the sustainability which looks at operations. Every company, no matter how important it is for climate change, has to report the CO2 emissions. It might be utterly unimportant for the whole world what the company actually does on an operational level. But companies are forced in there. And if you talk to management, and depending where they are on the sustainability journey, you might talk to new management, which is not used to sustainability. And they talk, yeah, no, no, we have recycling paper in our offices. And we use, I don't know, electrical cars for the three trips we do per year. And stuff where you think, okay, it's not really relevant. Uh, you're still selling oil, guys. Um, <laughs> kind of that. And what we see is that shift, which goes further, or you could argue back to the point where is the business adding value. And value is means product, it means services, it means the, the, the core of, of a company. And there, we don't have a lot of data yet. We don't have a lot of regulations. The taxonomy is one, the, probably the most dominant one, as an example, where it's going to. You can also see the discussions around the taxonomy, how, how cumbersome it is. 
they managed to push everything through in, within two years. And then they had like a half a year, year where everything basically stopped because the big lobbying coming came in. Everybody realized, oh, that's, that's a big thing that's going to change a lot also for, for the industry itself. And now they're trying to, to, to take the next steps and quite some ambitions, plans, but it's going to take quite a while to figure it out. So I think that's still the difference. And because we are very focused on the impact and not so much on, on sustainability risks, which is much more close to operations, we are not so focused on this operational data, on this sustainability 1.0, which is very regulated, which have different frameworks and, and specific numbers. We're much more trying to, to, to look where the, the value actually is. Mm. And do you believe that sustainability reporting and regulating how companies do sustainability reporting does help companies drive their sustainability agenda? When you say that you are interested in the impact that a company actually has on sustainability? Yes and no. I think it's nearly to all the questions, it's always in a gray. On the one hand, I think for many companies, and I I did some reportings and I talked to management and I did these reportings myself. Quite often, the reporting is the first step in companies when they kind of start with the sustainability agenda. Um, this, on the one hand, helps because obviously it comes from the regulators, it comes from the investors, and many ask that they need to do something now. So you have to bring basically the reluctant companies on, on board. But then it is a little bit problematic because it's very focused again on these operational issues. It's very focused on not necessarily the core material sustainability topics a company actually faces. So if you talk to a retailer and you start with sustainability reporting, they start to do and want to. And you see that in the reportings, again, about the recycling paper or about how what uh, uh, foundations they have. And it's like all the side business and not necessarily what products they sell, right? And as it goes along, and depending what, uh, who's driving it, you see that companies go much, much more again into towards this impact where, where they realize, okay, it's not so much about the paper we print on, uh, but it's much more if we sell unsustainable fish, if we have a lot of vegetarian, vegan products for a retailer, for example, right? Or when you go to the insurance and, and, and reinsurance, it's much more about what's Uh, companies and the projects they're uh, assure or reassure uh, um, do they are they have a lot of uh, insurances in the fossil fuel industry or kind of they're backing up of providing services to the old industry which sorry to say but literally just needs to die our planet may survive and it goes back to that so it helps yes it's the first step but also often it hinders a little bit because management often thinks, okay, we have the sustainability reporting, it's cumbersome, it's getting more and more expensive by the year because there are more regulations, it needs to be more standardized, but it's done. Sustainability, check, right? And they're not, re and the, the, the smart ones realizing, mm, that's just the thing we need to do for regulation, but we can have a USB on our business case and not so much about just the side stories, the numbers we have there. Mm -hmm. What are some of the discussions uh, you are having at Swiss Re about uh, this topic? Like when the regulator comes and uh, you have all these regulations you need to disclose information on and also how it goes hand in hand with your business model. I think it's very much in line with what Nico said because Swiss Re has one of their core ambitions to make the world more resilient. We are a global reinsurance company. We directly feel the impact of the climate change. 
This is something we can quantify in numbers, in claims directly, and we have a history around it. So for us, it's always been absolutely key in trying to reduce the impact of, of climate, climate change. I think that's also one of the reasons why for us, sustainability reporting is something that comes quite naturally. We have very strong ambitions. We have net zero CO2 ambition. We also actively monitor where we do business, again, in line with what Nico said, because there are certain areas where we just need to exit business or have exited a long time ago. Now, with regards to regulation, for us, even though it's a supporting fact because a lot of the data already is available, it still is an overhead because now we suddenly need to report on operations. Where do we use recycling papers? How much carbon do our uh, suppliers use when they, when they use their cars? Which I believe doesn't necessarily have the impact that we would like to have. But I believe it also makes sense because I think for many companies where, where it's not such an underlying drive to, to really move into a more sustainable setup, it is a motivation to actually rethink their business and potentially make some areas transparent where they can easily change and have a quite significant impact. So from my point of view, there's pros and cons. I guess globally, the pros will be stronger. For individual companies, it can be very cumbersome. I think it's, it's very important uh, just to highlight from a system perspective, it is relevant, right? Because basically what we want to have is pressure on all companies, all individuals, to deliver climate change. So when Michels goes to his suppliers and asks them, what cars are you using? How often do you drive them? They're like, well, it's like, okay, let's, let's have a look. And then they're like, oh, mm, our fleet is not that. Maybe we should buy some EVs. So then you have a higher demand for EVs and so forth. So you get down the pressure from a system perspective. This is very relevant for a company perspective and also from our side to, to if we look at Swissery and rate Swissery. Yeah, how do you rate Swissery? It's, it's <laughs> to be fair, I think Swissery is one of the poster childs on many, on many levels in terms of sustainability. A, when we really go to the core, as, as Misha said, they're trying to make the world resilient, right? They still have, let's call it legacy business, which they also try to get rid of, or at least to stop it uh, to a certain level. But on the other hand, I mean, from an ecological, but also from a society perspective, an insurance and hence a reinsurance, just trying to take risks away from people. And that means for, for doesn't matter if it's if it's a medical insurance or a car insurance or whatever, you try to take the risk away if something happens that people don't slide into big problems. And hence by core definition, these insurances often are fairly sustainable from an impact perspective on, on a societal level. Then it depends a little bit more if they still have their hands in the old world, in the fossil world, insuring coal ensuring new coal, ensuring old fossils, ensuring new, new fossils, and so forth. And, and I mean, there, I think Swiss Re understood the message, is going ahead, is, is leading also the whole industry in, in going that direction. And then on top of that, basically have a company filled with risk experts and to a certain level with that data experts on many different sides. And we have lots of climate experts and uh, when it comes to natural risks, which is their core business to ensuring that, right? Also, when you look at the reporting, what they deliver and that they deliver on the materiality, the, on the important topic, it's a, a good, good match. And hence, it gets a, a positive, a rather positive rating from our side. 
which means it's investable, investable from our side, but also from a more ESG, meaning risk perspective, if you look at all the big raters, I think your score always on the highest level, if I'm not mistaken. AAA from MSCI and top one from ISS and, and so forth. Uh, I think this comes very much in the nature of our business with all reinsurance companies. Obviously, natural disasters, climate-related uh, risks are one of our core business. We have the ambition to close the insurance gap, meaning we want to insure everything or we want to make sure that globally everything is insured and there is no gap. Now, what this means is obviously maximizing on premium. But now, what do we need to do from a business perspective to maximize our benefits is reduce the claims. And reducing claims means how can we avoid climate-related disasters? And this is something that you don't do from one day to the other. It's something that needs to be fully intrinsically in your company, in the business and how we, we do the underwriting in order to actually drive this. And we have a history of 150 years. We hope we have many years to come uh, forward so we can actually have a long-lasting impact. And I think that's exactly where the regulations can help because they drive behavior on a holistic level, not just for a port that's important for one year, but something that needs to change over time. Mm -hmm. I would like to come back to the regulatory requirements and how it affects Swiss Re. You mentioned that it drives up costs, that a lot of functions are involved. Could you give us a bit more details on how you get Swiss Re ready as an organization to comply with the upcoming sustainability regulations? So I think the first thing that we need to do is find out where we actually are required to report. And this is the first step where you need to start. We have had a sustainability team for quite some time now. It's a research team. We've increased the capacity of this function quite sizable with active reporting responsibles in it. We've assigned clear ownerships within the jurisdictions of the report. So who needs to produce and file them? And then on top of that, started to implement really the capability of doing holistic non-financial disclosure reporting, as we call it. This means reporting on anything that is sustainability related in all the ESG dimensions in a similar way as we do it in financial reporting. Because the market assumption is that over time, financial reporting and non-financial reporting, they will go hand in hand. So expectation is that whoever files a US CAP and IFRS report will in addition to that, have some sustainability-related data. So the, the data needs to come in the same format, quality, and also standards as we would expect from a financial reporting perspective. In our company, we have located this, this uh, non-financial disclosure in the areas that do the regulatory or financial reporting, which is risk management and finance. So we have clear CFO ownership, CRO ownership of the reports. On top of that, we've put the team in place that is looking at the methodology, the interpretation of the various regulations and how they can be dealt with company-wide because we have similar metrics that need to be slightly differently interpreted depending on the regulation. Finally, we had to beef up the technology department quite sizable where we want to make sure that we have all the sustainability-related data available at one place. And this is now a huge advantage once this is completed because this really allows insight within the company, the ability to provide data to investors, but also to immediately aggregate the data from a regulatory perspective. So that's the ambition and that's how we've started dealing with it. 
There are a couple of challenges, obviously, when we look into this. Regulations are often just directional. They leave a lot of room for interpretation, and quite often they come as a consequence from amb ambition. So we take the RBI counter-proposal, for example, which comes off an the response to an initiative in Switzerland. It is a very loosely formulated set of regulations. So the way and how it needs to be interpreted is something that now every company needs to find out for themselves. But in the end, hopefully, everyone interprets it in the same way. And this process to get there is not straightforward because it needs a couple of iterations. Um, what would be your advice to a company that stands at the beginning of implementing these regulations? I think there are a couple of steps that they need to consider. First is identify really where they need to comply, because that's the first one. This will drive timeline, scope, and obviously also cost, because depending on when you need to report, it might be that you need a very large project that immediately starts uh, implementing on it. Second part is don't underestimate the effort that it takes to implement it because one of the biggest challenges is the availability of data, how you actually source it, if you have it within the company, that you have the clear data agreements to, to get them. If you need them externally, how do you get them as fast as possible? I think the third part is don't try to reinvent the wheel. If someone has already done it, try to speak with your, your peers, with counterparties, with uh, partners who've implemented this in the past use their knowledge and implement it from there. And finally, I think the most important part is you need to drive this top-down throughout the company. So unless you have real executive sponsorship for this topic, it will be unbelievably difficult to come up with a pragmatic and sustainable solution within the company itself. Okay, this is very helpful. Thank you so much. And I'm sure there will be a lot of other follow-up questions to this from the audience later on. Now, Nico, Michel mentioned the challenge with data management. Now, from an investor perspective, you also deal a lot with data because you need to analyze all these companies to then make investment decisions. Would you be able to shed some more light on how you assess companies' sustainability performance? What data do you use and how do you handle the whole data management topic in your field? I think speaking probably for the biggest part of the financial market, there is always a top-down and bottom-up approach. And most of the time you do both. There's barely anyone who does only bottom-up. And there are many who only do top-down. What do I mean by this top-down and bottom-up? We analyze currently roughly 12,000 companies. And I mean, you can imagine that barely anyone has the resources to basically look through sustainability reportings and other reportings to come up with the data on these 12,000 companies. So what nearly everyone is doing um, is going to data providers and rating providers to get the data. There are different ones out there, the, the, the big ones, MSCI, ISS, S&P. They all have data, but all, all also have ratings. Um, then you either take their ratings and you basically say here are kind of the cutoffs where you want to invest. You only want to invest in the top 50% in terms of sustainability or you want to kick out the worst 10% or something and you take their rating approach and that's about it. Or as we do it, you say, okay, you have a look at the different uh, ratings and you find that none of them is really actually what you're looking for and not good enough in terms of what you're trying to achieve, in our case, uh, impact. And then you take sub-ratings and metrics and do your own approach. 
This is all top-down. You have to, the, the, the economy, you get the data, and then you say, okay, these ratings at these companies are sustainable, and these ones are not, whatever that means. And then you basically go to your portfolio managers and say, here you can invest. And you have, need to also have these and these rules in place. The bottom-up is much more, you literally go into, you dive deep into qualitative research on company level, right? Then you open up uh, the report from 3.3. And often, and there's barely anyone which only opens up a sustainability report, but you also always open up the financial reporting, you look at the whole story, and then you try to figure out what you're actually looking for. And there is obviously, you can have like, you can looking for just for good sustainable companies or companies which manage your ESG risk well. You can try to figure out which ones has a positive impact. You can try to figure out which is super innovative and is moving. You can try to figure out which is currently dirty but will be clean in the future. So the transition is, there's lots of things we can you can do from bottom up but also from top down. And hence, for the reporting requirements, what does, does that mean for the companies? A, when I look at sustainability reportings, I literally barely ever care about any word which is in there. Written sentences I don't read, I don't look at the pictures. I, it's nice to have, it's a marketing thing, it's, it's all good. Uh, quite often, if you start new, you might choose to just reduce that part because it's actually quite cumbersome to do. If you want to have your CEO and your chairman having forward and then it needs to take another, I don't know, 10 loops until everybody has read it, just leave it. Go for the numbers. Going for the relevant part, A, it's the regulatory requirement that you need to do certain and deliver certain numbers, but it's also the, the things basically the data providers and the investor actually look at. They take these numbers, they look at these numbers, and then they work with these numbers. Next to the regulatory, I want the material sustainability issues reported on. I don't care if your company has supporting some children in Africa and giving them free lunch every second, uh, which basically costs you $10,000, $20,000 a year or something. It, that side business, I want the core of your business and how it performs in sustainability. So look into that. And this often also means that these ones are also from a risk perspective, the relevant parts. If your whole team, CO2 footprint you have is of utter importance, right? It doesn't matter that much how much energy your computers use, but it matters a lot what energy you use for, for cement productions. If you're Swiss Re, it's very important what you insure and how you also invest. It's not so relevant, again, what recycling paper you use. These are just regulatory things which you maybe need to check, but then you can use the story, your core business, to also go into USP. And I think many companies out there actually deliver a lot of value for society of the nature, but are not necessarily aware. Our economy got a little bit kind of too much growth, too much financial, delivering financial performance, and not asking themselves what they are actually trying to deliver in terms of value. If you have a startup, startups go in and say, where is a demand, where is a gap from society? and try to fill that. And many companies, nearly all companies, started somehow in one way. They, they, there was a demand, there was a, a gap somewhere, and they basically went in there and then developed in a certain way. And on the way, they often forgot a little bit to ask themselves the questions, what's the value we actually want, we're actually delivering? And is it the real value for society 
and nature or or is it maybe not maybe it's counterpart mm -hmm. good thank you so much now i've asked enough questions and i would like to give the chance to our audience here and also our audience on the live stream you can chat on teams if you have a question so what anything uh, you would like to ask to our guest speakers question to both of you about the information gap right do you see any information gap, if we leave the regulation aside for a moment, do you see any information gap, maybe from your side, uh, Michel, where you say, okay, there is any, there is something I should report on, which I don't, or I don't focus on. And on the other side, for, for you, Nico, um, is there anything you always find to really evaluate the impact of a company where you see it's difficult to get the data? Maybe I can start. And uh, yes, there is a significant information gap because a lot of the data that we would like to report on, respectively, have an ambition, is not available. If you're now looking into a reinsurance company, the nature of our business is we take over policies from other insurance companies, meaning that we rely on the other insurance companies to collect underlying data. If we now look into the treaty business, which is a collection of uh, contracts, it could be that we have 100,000 housing policies where potentially we would need information for all of those 100,000 policyholders. It's not realistic at the moment to gather all of this information in an automated way if it's not been collected by the insurer as, as per default. Fixing this gap is in incredibly difficult. So what we do is we actively disclose that we don't have the data take assumptions, have models on how we try to interpret it. But important is to disclose it. Yes, there's one huge gap, which again goes together with the story, which I was always telling, going away a little bit from this sustainability risk more to the impact and is taken up by the taxonomy. I want revenue data. I want data on the relevant part of the business. I want to know where you make where you make how much revenue, with what product, what services. I want to know where you invest your money in, so your capex. Uh, I want to know where you're profitable, in which businesses and with which products and which not. I want to try to look into the future, as any investor does, right? This data is, again, currently coming up with the taxonomy, but was mainly now all the sustainability reporting was always in operations. Operations is something you can control, something you can easier deliver in terms of more specific, if you want to have the CO2 footprint of your company from electricity, you can actually measure that. But it's often not the relevant part. I want revenue data. And there, we having this taxonomy which comes in. But if you look at, and I'm not originally from the financial market, I, I studied international affairs. Uh, I, I worked quite a lot for, uh, for the industry, then for NGOs, and then coming into the uh, financial markets and then doing the sustainability and then you ask analysts and portfolio managers if they can give you information on the companies or you look uh, themselves up and then you're trying to look at the companies like how can you invest in such a company and you actually have no idea where the revenues and profitability are coming from in more detail because they don't report on it right some companies only report on regional segments so you have no clue where they actually make the revenues. And of course, you then have analysts and you have like all the, the things behind which try to estimate and have a little bit more insight, but you don't have a, a clear taxonomy. So what I'd love to have, and what I always say, then you can literally forget all other sustainability reportings to a certain level or make it 100% voluntary, is I want a taxonomy, not necessarily meant already 
decided if it's green or impactful or not. I just want a taxonomy of roughly 10,000 products or more services and force all the companies worldwide to just report on this taxonomy. How much revenue, how much profitability, how much capex and so forth goes into these different fields. And with that, I can then, and science can then help to estimate what negative and positive footprints these different categories, these different products and services has. And I will get a sustainability picture of every single company, which is probably 90 to 95% spot on. And if you would do that, you could ignore all of the data. And if a company says, no, 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 wait, we're especially sustainable because we're doing business better than the others. So if you're a mobile phone producer and you think your mobile phones are much better and have a much smaller footprint because you do a special sourcing of your raw materials, you treat your blah, 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 then you can report on top. But just the footprint of a mobile phone producer is fairly similar. It doesn't matter if it produces this mobile phone or that mobile phone or that mobile phone. It's in a ballpark of 80-20 and it's enough for most investments. And we don't have that yet. And it's coming with the taxonomy. It has other disadvantages, this taxonomy, that is very regulated, very technical, very cumbersome. But nevertheless, that's what I love to see. And not so much the CO2 footprint of the electricity the computers use or something like that. Just a quick reaction on this. I think we've just seen an, an additional requirement that uh, a regulation that has been, been forming. So that's how we come to 40 new taxonomies every year. No, but it's the, what, what is interesting, I mean, it goes much, much more back again to the financial reporting, as you said, right? Sustainability reporting, financial reporting, it's not so much different. It, it's being treated different. Often in companies, there's like the sustainability department, which does like all the sustainability reportings. And then you have the CFO and the CRO, which basically does the relevant reporting but it needs to go together and you need to deliver on that so that's what i'd love to see and that what we also try to do with our own taxonomy with our own approach and with our own assessment which products and services delivers to what sdg how much okay so thank you so much for being here and sharing all these insights with us Unfortunately, we have no time for more questions, but if you have some, please let us know. We'll try to address them afterwards. The recording of today's discussion will be available as a podcast, so I can also share it with colleagues who might be interested in the topic. And thank you so much to our speakers for being with us. And thanks for everyone for being here and on the live stream. Have a great day.